So without newborn screening research, I would not be where I am today. Um, I think that's a, a very um, big part for me. You know, obviously as a patient with PKU, someone who has um, had the direct impact of what improved research can do, um, it's a, a very meaningful part of my life. 2023 marks the 60th anniversary of newborn screening, and we're excited to have you join me, Dr. Amy Brower, and my co-host, Dr. Key Chan, on the Newborn Screening Spotlight podcast. This podcast is about advancements in rare disease research told by health professionals, researchers, parents, and advocates. And we share stories from the experts who treat babies, the families who care for them, and the researchers who make it all happen. As we celebrate advocacy, research, and public health leadership on this, the 60th anniversary of newborn screening, we remember that in 1963, Dr. Robert Guthrie's discovery of a biomarker for a rare disease known as phenylketonuria, or PKU, discovered that it could be detected just hours after birth, and his discovery ignited six decades of groundbreaking research. In addition to the six decades of newborn screening, this month of May is PKU Awareness Month, and today we're excited to have Brittany Holmes, who will share her personal and professional journey as an adult living with PKU. Brittany is currently a nurse practitioner in the Metabolism Program in the Genetics and Genomics Division at Boston Children's Hospital. She's an experienced provider who specializes in caring for patients born with inborn errors of metabolism, which PKU is one of those inborn errors of metabolism. Brittany serves on the board of directors of the National PKU Alliance, the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network Steering Committee, and the Rare Diseases Clinical Research Network Fee-Free Consortium External Advisory Board. She received her Bachelor of Science at Merrimack College and Master of Science in Nursing from Simons University in Boston and is just beginning the Doctor of Nursing Practice Program at UMass Boston this September. In addition to expanding her expertise in clinical care and research for those with a variety of inborn errors of metabolism, Brittany has a particular interest in PKU and newborn screening. Her interest in working with inborn errors of metabolism began at a young age due to her personal experience as a patient with PKU. After years of speaking at conferences from the patient perspective and receiving care from leading clinicians and researchers in inborn errors of metabolism from the patient side, this ultimately led her to seek a career as a healthcare professional in this specialty. We are so excited to have you listen as Brittany shares her story of being both a provider and a patient and her passion for caring for patients with PKU and related disorders. Hello, this is the Newborn Screening Spotlight. This podcast is about the advancement of rare disease research told by health professionals, researchers, parents, and advocates. 
This podcast is for you to learn how newborn screening research saves the lives of babies every day through the discovery of new technology and treatment. We are your co-hosts. I am Dr. Ki Chan. And I'm Dr. Amy Brower. We're from the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network, also known as the MBSTRN. Our work is supported by one of the institutes at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, called the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, also known as NICHD. Dr. Chan and I are from the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, also known as ACMG, and ACMG leads the MBSTRN. Screening babies saves lives every day, and research advances newborn screening by developing new technologies to screen, diagnose, and treat. MBSTRN helps accelerate research by creating tools, resources, and expertise for researchers, doctors, families, patients, and advocates. To learn how you can help advance newborn screening research, advocate for rare disease screening and treatment, and learn about important discovery, become a member of the Newborn Screening Translational Research Network by visiting our website at www.mbstrn.org. Thank you so much, Brittany, for joining us today on the Newborn Screening Spotlight. We're so excited to have you tell your story and your journey to our listeners. So currently, you're a metabolism nurse practitioner in the Department of Genetics and Genomics at Boston Children's Hospital in Massachusetts. In addition to expanding expertise in the clinical care of individuals with a variety of inborn errors of metabolism, you have a particular interest in phenylketonuria or PKU and newborn screening. Can you tell our listeners how you got involved in newborn screening? Yeah, thank you, first of all, so much for having me. I'm really happy to be a part of this. Um, Newborn screening is very near and dear to my heart, as you will find out. Um, So newborn screening has really played a a significant role in my life since birth, since I actually flagged on newborn screening myself for PKU. Um, I was born actually in the Boston area, where I am now, um, and my parents had received that call about an abnormal newborn screen and to take me to Boston Children's as a newborn. And um, that's where I officially received the diagnosis of PKU. Um, But I was fortunate to to grow up in the Boston area and to have such an amazing team at Boston Children's. Um, The role models I had there contributed so much to both PKU and newborn screening. So I'm sure all the names like Harvey Levy, Fran Rohr, and Susan Weisbrin are very familiar to people that um, are involved in newborn screening and, and PKU. Um, you know, they truly were people that were so motivating and wanted me, um, or led me to also want to make a difference in the lives of those with PKU and rare disease. Um, I was really drawn to the the nursing model since I enjoy providing the education. Um, the education piece to, to patients is something I, I really like doing as well. And just focusing on the whole person, especially when it comes to rare disease. So I decided to go to school to become a nurse practitioner with the goal to focus on inborn errors of metabolism. Um, I was able to gain a lot of experience first at Yale in genetics, but my dream was always to come back to Boston where I grew up, um, Boston Children's Hospital specifically, where I was diagnosed and treated. So I'm really excited to be working here now. 
as one of the metabolism providers, and I see many of the newborn screening patients in addition to those, um, you know, with diagnoses of, of inborn errors of metabolism that we follow regularly. So now it's been about eight and a half years that I've been in rare disease. Um, but my goal really is um, to, to continue just contributing and expanding um, my role in, in newborn screening, both um, in the clinical side and hopefully in the, the research side as well. Brittany, as you know, May is PKU Awareness Month. What is the purpose of this rare disease awareness campaign? And can you tell the listeners how they can get involved this month? Yes, absolutely. So um, PKU Awareness Month is every May. Um, there is also a, a PKU Awareness Day that's in December, but um, we have the whole month of May for PKU awareness. Um, and this, you know, first and foremost is, is really just to do what it, what it says is to bring awareness to PKU. And that's because awareness is just so important since that's what leads to improvements in things like research and treatments and just the support resources that we have for those with PKU. Um, because of the awareness that has been raised in the past, we have a lot more knowledge and resources for treating PKU currently than we did before. And that has just continued to expand and grow. Um, and this also leads um, researchers to have interest in exploring things like new treatment options for PKU, which is very important since treatment more expanding treatment options is something that we that we still need for PKU since many struggle with the the protein restricted diet that's required. Um, so for PKU Awareness Month, I often like to post PKU education to social media so that others can learn more. Um, but in addition to the awareness piece, fundraising is also an important part of the campaign since that way funds can be available for things like research and um, PKU patient support services. So a great way for others to become involved is to visit some of the um, organizations like our national organizations, such as the National PKU Alliance and PKU News, and that can help people learn more and how they can um, spread awareness as well. So the National PKU Alliance currently has an activity challenge called Move Your Feet, Feet spelled P-H-E-E-T, and the funds raised will directly support a mentor program for those with PKU. Um, so this is just another fundraiser that can help provide more support to those with PKU. And anyone can join this challenge and search for the MPKUA Move Your Feet fundraiser for more information. This year in 2023, we're celebrating the 60th anniversary of newborn screening and PKU was the first condition to be screened in newborns beginning in the late 1950s. The PKU screening test is a blood test given to all newborns from the first days of birth and babies identified with PKU benefit from early treatment. However, in just 10 years ago in 2013, there was a study that indicated that for every individual patient, there's still social and economic factors that prevent some individuals living with PKU from accessing treatment. It's now 10 years later, Brittany. Do you see any changes to this story? So my answer for this would be yes and no, since we have seen significant improvement in some areas, um, but um, still have a long way to go in some others. So we have definitely come a long way in what's available for options like low protein foods and medical formula. And we also have new treatment options, which is really exciting. Um, you know, in the past um, few years, not only have we had new treatment options, but a lot of interest um, in, in more things in clinical trials as well. 
Um, but the um, new treatment options have really been beneficial to those, um, especially the adults of PKU who struggle to maintain the restricted diet for life. Um, the addition of telehealth has also been really huge for those um, with PKU, especially um, for expanded access since those clinics that see rare disease are not as common. Of course, you can't just always go to like your, your local small hospital. Um, so this can be a challenge for patients that live very far from uh, the closest genetics or metabolic center. So the addition of telehealth has really helped improve the access um, for those that have challenges either due to distance or if it was just financial barriers from um, the cost to, to travel into the city or wherever their closest center may be. Um, but unfortunately, the, the thing that we continue to struggle with is access due to insurance barriers. Um, there are many PKU adults out there that want to be on treatment. Um, in fact, you know, they, they estimate that we have about 16,000 people or so, you know, this number obviously um, changes, but we have about 16,000 people in the U.S. Um, with PKU, but only about half are currently actually in treatment, like in their metabolic clinics. Um, and that's just because the access is so challenging for so many adults that they um, are no longer even receiving care for PKU. Um, and one of the, the issues is that insurance does not consistently cover medically necessary foods and formula. Um, so this has really been a big battle um, for those with PKU and other rare disease that, that rely on medical nutrition. Um, so this battle has definitely continued and we have not made as much progress in this area as hoped. So that is why, you know, overall, I think the answer is yes and no, because while we have definitely made some, some great strides in many areas, um, you know, improving this access to insurance coverage of, of medical medically necessary foods is still something that we really need to work on. Thousands of children and adults in the U.S. live with inherited metabolic disorders that inhibits their bodies from digesting or metabolizing typical grocery store foods. When these conditions are left untreated, food can become toxic or the body can fail to absorb necessary nutrients. These individuals must turn to medically necessary nutrition, such as highly specialized formulas, such as a treatment for the condition and a substance. Insurance companies would typically cover pharmaceuticals or biologics for treatments of a digestive or metabolic conditions, but insurance companies do not generally cover medically necessary nutrition. I believe there is a policy in development or in place to address this, such as the Medical Nutrition Equity Act. Can you tell our listeners more about this policy, Brittany? Yes, absolutely. So in addition to um, working at Boston Children's and Metabolism, I'm also on the board for the National PKU Alliance. So um, I've participated in the advocacy efforts for um, this specific bill, the Medical Nutrition Equity Act. So um, can speak to that experience. Um, the Medical Nutrition Equity Act, or MNEA for short, would solve many of the issues with the access to the proper care that it, we just discussed um, in the last uh, in the last question. The Medical Nutrition Equity Act is a bipartisan bill, and it would provide a federal mandate for health insurance to cover medically necessary foods and supplements. Um, we've really spent years years lobbying for this bill, but unfortunately, it still has not been passed. Um, it's something that's been frustrating as both a patient and a clinician um, that we're still 
at the point that we're still fighting for this. Um, medical nutrition is, is obviously vital for so many patients, not just PKU, um, but not having a federal mandate allows the access to very significantly state to state. Um, insurance is also able to find loopholes to avoid covering these medical medically necessary foods and nutrition. Um, so this is something that has really been challenging for the PKU community and the rare disease community in general. So we're still continuing to um, fight for this bill and, um, you know, really hopeful that we will be able to get this passed. In addition to medical nutrition therapy for PKU patients, what are other types of new treatments and even getting into the realm of gene therapy for PKU? Can you share a little bit of the latest research and efforts in clinical trials in this area? Sure. So I'll start with um, the current treatments and newer treatments. So for PKU, other than the um, protein-restricted diet and the medical foods and formula, um, we have two medication um, options as treatments for PKU that are FDA approved. Um, the first has been around for a while, so it's not not very new. It's called saproterin, which is essentially a synthetic form of the cofactor, um, BH4, um, which is the cofactor for the PAH enzyme, which is what is deficient in PKU. Um, so phenylalanine or fee for short, um, those levels can build up to toxic levels um, in untreated PKU, and that's what can be harmful to the brain. And so the separatarian can work to lower these fee levels for patients that respond. However, not all patients respond to separatarian, and it's typically used in conjunction with a fee-restricted diet. So it doesn't, you know, really allow um, complete liberalization of the, the protein-restricted diet. Again, this has been around for a while. So, um, you know, having other options for people that didn't respond was something that we were really hopeful for for a long time. Um, as of May 2018, we do have now a, a newer treatment option. And this is called Pegvalease, um, which is an enzyme substitution therapy. And this is currently approved for 18 and up. Um, and the goal for this is to control fee levels without requiring the fee-restricted diet or the protein-restricted diet. Um, of course, you know, both of these treatments have a lot more education involved. So I always encourage anyone interested to reach out to their clinic for more information. But these are our current two FDA-approved treatment options. Um, but the exciting thing is that there is a lot of activity in the clinical trial area for PKU. Um, there's currently many ongoing clinical trials for both um, um, for things that are an active um, patient clinical trials and then preclinical trials um, or preclinical phases. So for one of the first clinical trials, there's actually an ongoing trial for the use of pegvalease that I just talked about, but in adolescence, since as I mentioned, currently it's only approved for 18 and up, um, but this trial is for those 12 and up. Um, this is really exciting because, um, you know, with being able to control fee levels, um, the uh, this is of course, important for all ages, and it is great that we have it for adults, but that adolescent age can be a challenging time when they're in school and really want to be able to um, increase protein intake. But of course, you know, without a, another treatment option, um, that's typically not possible. So to be able to have another treatment option for adolescents in addition to adults um, would be something very exciting. 
But overall, I, I really think this is an exciting time for PKU because there's many different things in, in various clinical trial phases. Um, <clears throat> there is gene therapy, although some of the gene therapy trials are currently on hold. There is a, a current gene editing trial for PKU. Um, there are clinical trials that have many different um, modes of, of how they're targeting treatment, which is very interesting. Um in addition to the gene therapy, there are those in preclinical phases um, that will use mRNA technology, for example, um, or even target um, trying to reduce um, fee through the kidneys. Um, as a, a patient, I'm actually participating in one of the clinical trials myself, um, and it's something called PTC923, and this is um, a precursor to BH4. So uh, so similar to saproterin, but um, is supposed to be a, a more bioavailable form. Um, so this is a, another um, clinical trial that is currently in there and, and that I'm participating again from, from the patient side. So we have um, many things upcoming. So I think for, for those um, with PKU or parents with PKU, I think that's something um, that's important to know is just that we um, currently only have those those two treatments that are FDA approved, but we do have exciting things on the horizon. So I always encourage people to talk to their clinic if they want more information, either about the current treatment options or what, what might be on the horizon and what the options are for clinical trial participation. Brittany, thank you so much for sharing your story and your involvement in so many different areas. Um, you also play a role in service you're on the Rare Disease Clinical Research Network, Free Consortium External Advisory Board. What is the mission and activities of this network? So for the RDCRN um, Fee-Free Consortium, uh, the External Advisory Board that I'm participating in um, is uh, a really great way to provide some opinions and advice for um, for, for advancing medical research. So really the, you know, the RDCRN um, is to help advance medical research. And for my participation, um, for example, if there's a clinical trial protocol, um, we've reviewed them just to go through from um, both the provider and patient perspective to see, is this something that will be feasible from a patient perspective? You know, is this something that um, is going to require too much um effort or something that may be challenging for, for example, those with PKU who maybe are um, what we call off diet or have elevated fee levels and might have trouble with things like executive function. Um, is the clinical trial protocol something that will not be um, something they're able to, to do or something that may pose a lot of challenges? So that is our role really is to review um, things like that in the medical research area to help provide any opinions and advice that we have um, on how we can um, move these move these forward. It's such an exciting time. That's so wonderful. Um, I can't imagine as you see, you know, um, patients in your clinics and families every day um, who are living with PKU and yourself as an adult with PKU, what advice do you give to those individuals and to new parents who may have just received a positive uh, report from a newborn screen for PKU? So I, I really enjoy working with PKU. Um, 
And the the newborn screen visits for PKU are always ones that I um, enjoy being able to provide some reassurance to parents. I feel like one of the very common concerns for those who are just told about either a new diagnosis or come in because of a, a positive newborn screen is they're really concerned about what life will look like for their child in the future. And, you know, that's something that can be challenging as a clinician to answer because obviously, you know, we, we wish we had a crystal ball. I really wish I could um, accurately predict what life will be like in the future for many of these patients. But I know that's such a common concern and, um, being able to provide some reassurance as, you know, someone who, um, has PKU and works with PKU. Um, obviously, you know, I can't tell parents exactly what their child's life will look like, but can provide some, some reassurance that if, um, you know, they continue to follow in clinic and continue with treatment, um, that they really have, um, the ability to have normal lives um, and that PKU doesn't have to hold you back from anything. So I think one of the most helpful things that um, my parents did for me was really to, to treat PKU as something that we of course have to manage. You know, it's, it's something that does provide some challenges throughout life. Um, you know, that's, that's not um, a secret. Um, but at the same time, it's not something that um, would get in the way of anything that I wanted to do. So I was essentially, you know, a, a normal kid with a, a different diet. And on top of that, I was able to teach others um, about PKU and provide that education on rare disease. So, um, you know, I think PKU has provided me with the opportunity to have more empathy for others um, and to have, you know, strength in, in many areas. So, um, I think that is an important thing for those with, um, uh, you know, new parents with, with those with a, a new baby with a PKU diagnosis to, to keep in mind, just continue to work with your clinic. Um, but, you know, those, those of us with PKU can have very normal and fulfilling lives. Brittany, are you involved in training the next generation of nurse practitioners? And if so, what do you tell them about newborn screening and efforts to expand newborn screening through research? So currently, um, we are fortunate at Boston Children's that um, we have been hiring more nurse practitioners, which is great. Um, so, you know, recently I participated in, in training one of our new nurse practitioners um, and Overall, as a whole, you know, I do hope that someday I'll be able to provide more education um, for nurse practitioners, um, and which is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm going back to school to be able to just um, expand my ability to provide education and advocacy and leadership um, as a nurse practitioner in metabolism. Um, I try to also participate in any type of um, nurse practitioner organization that we have. Um, there's something called um, CGAP is the acronym, but it is essentially a um, group for advanced practice providers in genetics. Um, so this is uh, a really great way um, to be able to participate and network with other nurse practitioners that practice in genetics and see newborn screening patients and to talk about um, our experiences, especially in different states working with newborn screening and to help educate each other on, you know, things that we do to help improve um, newborn screening and, and outcomes for those on newborn screening. 
Brittany, what do you think prospective parents should know about newborn screening research in screening, diagnosis, treatment for PKU? I think it's important um, to know that research is still being done on the long-term outcomes and how we can improve this for PKU. Um, you know, as we talked about, the other piece of this is the um, access. So trying to improve access for all is still being actively worked on, um, such as, you know, what we talked about with the, the Medical Nutrition Equity Act. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the important things to know is that research is still being done. We're continuously um, trying to increase our knowledge and improve how we treat um, PKU. So the um, current guidelines and standards of care are um, currently being updated. And so the, the most current research and the most current knowledge that we have on PKU is um, constantly being utilized in order to make sure that we are providing the best care for those with PKU. We were so excited, uh, the MBS TRN team, to welcome you as a new member to our steering committee. So MBS TRN, in addition to celebrating 60 years of newborn screening, it's actually our 15th year this year in 2023. Um, so we've sort of been looking back um, on all the accomplishments and thinking about the future. So in thinking about the future, Brittany, and getting an introduction to the efforts at MBSTRN, what efforts do you think that MBSTRN could do to support individuals living with PKU, newborns who are screen positive and ultimately diagnosed with PKU, and especially to help advance the treatments and support for adults and their families who are living with PKU? Um, so first, I am absolutely thrilled to be part of the MB NBS TRN. Um, this, you know, being able to expand my involvement in newborn screening has been something that has been a, a big goal of mine. So being part of the NBS TRN um, is something that I'm really excited about. Um, and so furthering newborn screening research um, and specifically how it translates to our clinical care is so important to me. Obviously, I've been very involved in the clinical care side of newborn screening. So I'm able to see a lot firsthand about, um, you know, that that initial visit when the parents come in, um, how how it affects them initially, you know, the, um, the, the stress that they go through, um, the, the diagnose, the, um, journey for the diagnosis, um, as long as the, um, continued care and the, the long-term outcomes. Um, so I would definitely like to see this lead to more tools available for providers who see newborn screening patients, um, and improved, long-term care. I think, you know, right now, obviously we have um, a fair amount of variation state to state. And sometimes that just depends on the specific resources and tools available in each state. So being able to have more tools available and more um, standards, I think will be something that can be really beneficial um, to those that see newborn screening patients. So for um, PKU specifically, I think it will be really helpful to increase um, the tools that we have, especially for the long-term outcomes for um, neurocognitive um, 
neurocognitive outcomes. Um, you know, with PKU, the neurocognitive consequences are something that are um, are researched a lot and something that we try to make sure that we are able to prevent these and find ways to improve our care to improve the the neurocognitive outcomes. Um, so to be able to have more tools um, to evaluate how we're doing with these these long-term outcomes um, in adults with PKU, I think will be um, really helpful. And because of where we um, currently are with with newborn screening, you know, for for PKU, we are starting to get um, older generations that had different um, different treatment guidelines than we currently have. So I think having these um, tools will be really important so that we can really see how our current guidelines and how the previous guidelines affected our, our long-term outcomes so that we can continue to improve these guidelines and standards of care for PKU, but also for newborn screening in general. Brittany, thank you so very much for joining us today on the Newborn Screening Spotlight podcast, sharing your personal story, your career journey, and the future of newborn screening in PKU. We really appreciate all the time and efforts you're, you've been doing and especially your involvement with MBS TRN. At the end of our podcast, we ask a signature question, and that is, what does newborn screening research means to you? So without newborn screening research, I would not be where I am today. Um, I think that's a, a very um, big part for me. You know, obviously as a patient with PKU, someone who has um, had the direct impact of what improved research can do. Um, it's uh, a very meaningful part of my life. Um, something else that I, you know, have not shared yet was that I um, do have an, an uncle who also has PKU, um, but unfortunately he was actually born um before newborn screening. Um, so our lives are, are very different. Um, my uncle, um, lives in a group home. Um, he, you know, does have intellectual disability, um, and many different neurocognitive and, and neurologic consequences that come from not treating PKU. Um, you know, my uncle obviously um, is not able to be independent. Um, he, um, you know, has, has several behavioral and, and health issues that go along with, um, with untreated PKU. Um, but, you know, just because of newborn screening research and me being um, born when we do have newborn screening, obviously our lives look vastly different. Um, so, I, you know, I, I greatly appreciate newborn screening research um, since it is obviously um, what has been able to allow me to be a, a healthy um, adult. And not only me, but for all the patients that I see. So from the, the clinician standpoint, um, you know, we have so many patients that have benefited from newborn screening research, have benefited from, um, you know, newborn screening in general, being able to be picked up on newborn screen and, and treated appropriately and being able to see those kids grow up and lead healthy, happy lives, um, you know, is something that is really um you know, really a, a fantastic part of, of newborn screening. So being able to 
have continued research in newborn screening to even improve these outcomes and improve the lives um, of those with rare disease who are picked up on newborn screening to improve it even more um, is something that I am really looking forward to seeing and really looking forward to contributing as much as I can. for listening to this episode of Newborn Screening Spotlight. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and share an episode with your colleagues, friends, and family. Get involved. Stay informed. Help us advance discoveries. Together, Together let's, let's increase, increase the, the impact, impact of newborn, newborn screening research, research by, by listening, listening to, to your stories. stories.